0: Hey everyone, this is Omveshupad and you are listening to the Om Show. I remember when Mark Twain was talking about life and what's the purpose behind it. He famously said, there are two important days in a person's life. Obviously, the first one is when you are born and the second one is when you find out why. So, it's not... We finding the meaning of life, we looking for purpose. We on a quest of knowing the answer why we are born are all the same. And still we juggle at it. We don't find the exact answer. Many find it at a very early age and a lot of people never find it. So for them life is like they just take birth, they die, there's no in between. On this episode of The Homeway Show, I engaged in a deep conversation with a guy who somehow decoded how to find the purpose of life. I'm talking about Mr. Francis Merrells. He had a really long career in the writing field. He wrote several bestsellers and popularly known for his books on the Japanese concept of a happy life, Ikigai with Hector Garcia. In this episode, we talked about finding the purpose of life, how to keep doing what you love, a writer's word on relationships, and a lot about love. So it's not just a podcast episode, but an hour-long life lesson. Here's the conversation.
1: This is Frances Miralles, and I am listening to Onve Show. So,
2: Hello, Frances, and welcome to the
1: OMVE Show. Hello. Very nice to be here. Namaste. And uh, it will be a pleasure to have a conversation with you uh, between two continents. I am in Barcelona now. Uh, I am very happy that there, there are so many people interested in these topics nowadays because it's a time for change. I hope we have a good time together.
2: Yeah, and you are uh, very true about what you said that now as a society when we are very engaged in in the daily routine that we are in and sometimes it goes completely exhausting for us and our soul and what is Ikigai, what is self-help and who is a more better person than you to talk about this. So I'm really glad to have you on the show and thank you very much once again for joining.
1: A pleasure, a honor. Thank you.
2: So, Francis, uh, as you greeted us and me in the very local form of greeting that we do here in India, that's Namaste and I'm very not surprised about it because I uh, knew that you were in India during your tough days. So I want to start the conversation from there, like uh, how you decided to be in India and what was the overall experience?
1: Yes, there is a tradition. Among the artists of the West world, uh, at least in Europe, but I think it's also happening in the United States that when you feel stuck in your life and you are very young and you don't know what will be your your pathway in this existence, you don't know Euuriki Guy. many people live for for India because India is the mother of all spiritualities. It's a very ancient culture with a a lot of different impressions that you can get. And so for somebody who is creative and for somebody who wants to discover something from yourself, it was my case, India was a logical plan to to do because I had read a lot of authors uh, from the country. Uh, Modernly, I read Jiddu Krishnamurti, but also other uh, spiritual teachers, and I wanted to do a a long journey by train, going to cheap hotels, walking, going from he- wandering, so to decide what to do with my life. And it was in this in this trip for the first time that I wrote a novel. I bought a notebook in a market I don't remember in a village, and a pen. And then every evening when I was in the hostel, when I was in the cafes. I was writing some pages and it became my first novel. So I can say that India made me writer because I had so many impressions every day. There was so much to tell that I decided to start.
2: And that is really beautiful because uh, it is always about like you know something about your country. But when you hear all this about your country and the legacy that it follows from someone else, especially from abroad, uh, could you like, please tell in particular like what places of India you visited and any particular incident that completely changed and transformed you?
1: Yes, because if you live in Europe, in Europe there are many small countries. So if you go to the center of Europe, you see Switzerland, Austria, Luxembourg, Belgium, all of them are smaller than an Indian state, but it's very similar life from one place to the other. So if you are in Switzerland or you are in Luxembourg or you are in Holland, there is not much difference. People live exactly the same. And when we go to India, by that time it was even more impressive, you are looking for different universes. And so when I was first in Bombay, what I saw inside Mumbai was so many different cultures. because. I saw Jains, I saw Hinduistic temples, uh, I saw Parsis, I was in quarters with very rich people in front of the sea, I saw very, uh, very poor people, uh, the, the country, rural places, the city, so yeah, even from the beginning I saw that there were many different worlds inside the same city. And this is very exciting for a writer, for someone one who wants to write, because you have a lot of impressions every day, a lot of conversations with people who are very different. You could talk in a cafe with a gentleman who had studied in Oxford, and you could talk the same day with a person who couldn't write or read. So, And all that was India. And then when I started my, my trip, reading a lot also, Uh, books of the different spiritualities, uh, I realized that Europe, that the Western world, is a very small part of the culture of the planet, and that we have a way of living that is very similar from the United States and the shops and all this, but that there are other realities, and these realities are not inferior, are different. And then I discovered a bit the source of many things that have become fashionable. So we, we talk nowadays about mindfulness. It, it came from New York, from the professor John kabat But actually, mindfulness is the same that 3,000 years ago was done in India. And so it was interesting to see the yogis, the gurus, the people who have always done that, but maybe they don't have the brand, something commercial for the world, but it was like coming back to the roots of all the beliefs of the planet.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because here in India, it was always about self-improvement. That's why uh, we never went outside our country to propagate our religion. That's why most of the times you hear something in the Western countries and that's already into our Vedas or in our ancient yes. scriptures. So,
1: exactly.
2: yeah. So. Was that a culture at that time in the European countries, like in particular, that promoted you or inspired you to come to India?
1: Yes, uh,
2: I was very curious. Which year does it happen?
1: It was, I I would say, it was 1999, more or less. And India was very, very different from what is now, because I came back uh, in January this year for a book tour and everything but was very different uh, in in these 20 years, progress has been huge and uh, the middle class has grown a lot. And actually it had nothing to do with what I experienced. I suppose if you go to the rural parts of India, you can still find that, that kind of people. But in the center of the cities, it was uh, already very similar to any big Western city. Uh, Modernity has come to India and many people want to live like in the United States. That's normal. It happened in Spain too. Uh, When they started with the progress, they were seeing TV movies and they wanted to live like that. And I think in, in a part it's a pity because what people from the bottom are imitating is, uh, much less valuable than the, the, the values that, that are in the country. So I think that's not a chance that the big writers from England, from the United States, from many places have always come to India because you have a treasure in all this diversity and uh, we should follow you, not the, the opposite way.
2: <laughs> exactly, because uh, here... Even in the country today, uh, we discuss how the British colonialism affected us and also the globalization, because it was always about looking to Western countries and to change our own self, despite the fact that we ourselves are sitting on the treasure of knowledge and wisdom.
1: Yes, exactly.
2: So, Francis, there is one another reason I connect with you is that you did a bit of journalism in your undergraduation, but eventually you yes. dropped out of the college. What was that story?
1: Yes, the story was that I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I think it's very difficult when you are 18, 19, that uh, you must decide the career. You must decide what the rest of your life will be. Because you finish what in Spain is called baccalaureate, the high school. You finish the the, file, the high school. And then you have three weeks in which you put some options to the universities, to the colleges, to the professional schools. And if you are accepted in one of these options, you are going to study there five years, maybe more, and you will spend the rest of your life doing that. And you are, um, sometimes you put that option just because you don't know, because you think that you can be accepted in this place. And so there are many people who become lawyers, who become many professions, uh, and they didn't consciously uh, choose these possibilities. And, and I was in that situation. Uh, I loved writing, and I thought going to journalism would be a good option, because I thought that University of Journalism would be to become someone like Tintin, like the comic character, like the journalists we see in the movies that is going to the war that is going to do very special reportage that is uh, compromised with the truth and i came into the faculty into the university and it was everything very boring i was studying spanish and catalan and history and a lot of theoretical things and the whole week there was only one hour in which we were writing something. So I wanted to to learn to write better. So it was not the place for me. Then I changed my idea and after that first course, I went to English and German literature and I studied that and then I was many, many years doing that because I was traveling all the time. I was living in refugee camps during the Balkan Wars. So in the end, uh, a career, uh, a university study that had been normally four years, I was 11 or 12 years because in the middle I was always traveling, quitting, coming back. It was a a time of a lot of instability because I was exploring the world, exploring what I wanted to do with my life.
2: So uh, while talking, you... Uh, described how it is as a teenager who is about to be t- in his early 20s, the existential crisis that every mm. young guy go through. So, was it like when you decided to do journalism or it is from your childhood like how your childhood went? And
1: Yes, I, I thought that journalism was a school to write, to investigate, to to go to the street and do some nice report. And then I saw that everything was very theoretical and I wanted to live, I wanted reality. I didn't want to be all day reading articles and reading books and uh, assisting to uh, classes in which many professors were repeating the same one year after another year. So I I would say I needed adventure in my life. And what I did in those years, it was 10 years of instability maybe, was working. I was always working as a waiter. Uh, I was working in in hotels. I was working in campings. I was mm, with many different things. And when I got a little money, I traveled for, I took a train and I went to some cooperation camp in the north of Europe, in Greece, uh, everywhere, where, and so I would say, half of the year I was traveling, and half of the year I was working, and that was my university in the end, discovering the world, I wanted to see what was outside the college, I was not interested in, in uh, boring professors.
2: So, you told about the harsh reality that the field of journalism sometimes uh, looked to be, but I want to know from you, like if someone wants to be really a writer in nowadays and want to make his career in films or in mass communication, yes. is journalism the right choice or he should it depends
1: be more the, uh, I would say it depends on the college because uh, all this has changed a lot. And there are schools that are very practical and very good. And so if you want to be a journalist, if you want to write, it's better before to know exactly what do you want to write because it's not the same if you want to write novels, if you want to be a journalist of sports, if you want to be a journalist of economy, then maybe better going to uh, the economics school, better going maybe to to some studies about sports management, because traditionally, and in, at least in in Europe, until the 80s, there wasn't any journalism college. Normally, uh, the people who wrote in the newspapers were experts in a topic. So if you knew a lot of economy, you could uh, write about that in a newspaper. If you knew a lot about something, then in the end, you learn the... You, you 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 learn this job by doing it and in practices and then you you went going up. So nowadays, I would say there are many different directions. So I would say first of think I would recommend to a young person maybe visiting a a creative writing course. Uh, uh, so because you need to to have uh, an easy way. To express what you want to tell if you want to be novelist or you want to be journalist or if you want to write essays you need to master your language uh, you you need to know how to communicate so if you go one month to a group of creative writing that there are thousands in the world uh, i would say with the crisis every published author has some group with the students so And if you like very much, I don't know, romantic novels or science fiction, you can look uh, which authors are around you and you can join one of these groups. And then it's very interesting because you are going to write with other people with same interests. Uh, You will read each other. You will have feedback and you will know if you are in the good track or maybe if you can develop differently. So I would recommend to start humble this way and then maybe... You can study literature, you can study many things. It depends on what do you want to do precisely in the future. So the, the, the more concrete is your wish, the easier to get there.
2: Yeah, so if I could simplify all that, it means that you have to be more sorted when you are deciding that what you want to be and how you will do it. And that's yes. why Kigai is something that will help you in all this.
1: Yes. Mm, it's normal in the beginning that you, do, you don't know exactly where do you want to be working. Uh, maybe you know that you like arts or that you like creativity, but you don't know if you would like to work on TV or if you, if you were, would like to write scripts or something. Then, uh, uh, if you follow a Guy course, uh, what we recommend always is to to try as many things as possible. Because you can try to write some scripts for a movie, for a TV series. Maybe you don't feel comfortable with that. And then you you write something more intimate, something more personal, something more existential. And maybe you, you find your place there or not, or you you want to write to give voice to people who are suffering. I don't know. But I think... The way is to try as many things as possible, because in the end, you will find something where you fit perfectly and you will notice that that is what I was looking for. But you must have experience. This is something that Henry David Thoreau, the the American philosopher who wrote Walden or The Life in the Boots, uh, he was receiving a lot of young writers because he was a very well-known philosopher and thinker and writer in newspaper, And many young people came to him for advice and what have to do to be a writer. And he said always, before you sit down to write, you must stand up for living. If you don't live, you don't have nothing to tell. So first, try to live as well as possible, the, the better possibilities you have in your hand. And after that, you will have something to tell.
2: Yeah, so what, according to you, it is more a writer's characteristic to be very good with words or mm. to be a very empathetic person? I, I, would
1: say, yeah, I would say there are two main kind of writers. There is the inner writer, the interior writer uh, that works from a room. And in a very intellectual work and it would be the, the case of Marcel Proust, uh, many th- this kind of literature that is very intellectual, that is everything is created inside your head and this kind of people for instance he said that Marcel Proust needed to be always inside a room, totally isolated, so that there was no noise at all that could penetrate and he was always analyzing one sentence, changing one word, doing that. This is one kind of writer, the intellectual writer, very artistic, uh, playing with words, playing with concepts. But there is also the opposite kind of writer. If you look at Hemingway, if you look at Henry Miller, if you look these kind of writers who were very good travelers, these writers took inspiration not from inside, but from outside. Uh, Hemingway and Henry Miller traveled to Paris. They were very poor. They didn't have money. They were living in the place of a of a friend, in the house of a girlfriend here and there. And they were learning from reality. They were living a lot of different experiences and emotions. And th- this made them uh, have very good stories that they told in the in the books. And this is the, the other direction. Uh, You can look inside your richness or you can look outside and then you find your inspiration in what is happening in the world. In India, Rudyard Kipling, the British writer, was somebody who was observing always what was happening around him. This would be the the second kind of of writer.
2: Yeah, so uh, like it is about uh, seeking inspiration, it could be inside you, it could be outside. You have to just... Gotcha. Different
1: ways. both are good uh, you must know in which you feel more comfortable if you are a shy person if you are a very reflective person if you are a philosopher maybe you are better at home with a cup of tea and lost in your thoughts if you are a very lively person and you need a lot of experience and friends and women and mm, travels maybe you will need to see the world and uh, to pick up things here and there
2: yeah and uh, to tell you about an incident that happened with me uh, here in india uh, there's a very popular fair that happens kumbh mila that is very famous worldwide for the fact that every fourth year millions of people gather there and it is in the history of mankind the most people's gathering and they are like in millions about a huge gathering so i went there last time when it happened and just the vibrations that hit me and i could possibly wrote about a hundred of pages about what the atmosphere and how (laughs) i felt about it and that is a power of vibration and the vibes that inspire someone so you came to india and then you went to japan like you were moving from western part of the planet to the eastern part traveling all these places that are different in any and unique in any manner so how you went to Japan and that's where when ikigai happened what
1: was the whole yeah. story about it? I, I had India was when I was uh, maybe I was mm, 27 28 I, I was very young then and uh, then when I started writing after my first trip to India uh, I had a lot of jobs related with psychology. I wrote for magazines, I wrote for newspapers, I worked in the radio, and they wanted me to write about authors of self-help, of uh, personal growth, of spirituality, and I was always making interviews to different masters and writing about the Tao, the Zen, the, the American Indians, many things. So, I started traveling to Japan also for my profession because I had to write books about Japanese topics like the the Zen Buddhism, the Wabi Sabi philosophy and the haikus and all this. And in one of these trips, I made friendship with Hector Garcia that is the co-author of Ikigai. He's an engineer who lives there since... 16 years and he's married to a Japanese woman and we we, we became friends and we wanted to do something together to explore some place where he had not been and there was something interesting uh, to to investigate. And then uh, his father-in-law said that north of Okinawa was this tiny village called Ogimi with the Guinness World Record of longevity the place of the world where people live longer. It's called also the Village of the Centenarians. Then we yeah. planned reading everything about Okinawa, about the Okinawa diet, about the climate, about history, about many things, social organization. And in the end, we came to this tiny village and we started interviewing all the centenarians and we wrote this book, Ikigai. And from there, I have traveled to almost every year to Japan, sometimes for work, sometimes to visit my friend, or to explore some part of the country. But it doesn't mean that for me, Japan is the best place of the world. It's just a place where professionally, I have had more attachment the last years, but um, I am very excited uh, coming back to India. I, I think in the end, I was three times in India, And there are other countries like Iceland that I am very fascinated from from this country. And I've been there four or five times too. I I like, I love to repeat trips because when I like a place, I want to go there in summer, in winter, in spring, coming back to places, coming back to that cafe, visiting again this friend. I, I like to go deep in the knowledge of something that I love.
2: Okay, so uh, when was the last time you
1: were in India? Last time was in January, because uh, last year, Ikiwai in many bookstores was the number one book in nonfiction. And I was invited by Penguin India to go two weeks on a tour that was first. uh, First it was in Calicut, then Calcutta, uh, Mumbai, Delhi and Jaipur, and I was in, uh, in book festivals, in interviews, in book signings, and it was two months before the pandemic, uh, I was moving around all the country, and, and after that, people finished traveling, I think, and the world changed.
2: Yeah, definitely after this, the world changed, but I think... Uh, it is like an introspection period, a month long introspection period for people who are working in creative fields.
1: Yes, people who are working in creative fields, uh, they have many opportunities now. For writers, this is a strange time that we are living. You can write very deep psychological reports about what is happening with people, what is happening with our values. How many people is changing life? Some because during this isolation, during this lockdown, they thought and rethought their lives and want to live in another way. Some others because they lost jobs and they must reinvent themselves. So it's a very interesting period because everything is unsafe. Everything is moving all the time. And so if you are a creative person and you are flexible you are going to experience many different things and you are going to have many opportunities also. Yeah,
2: true. Uh, so, uh, Francis, now I want to ask you a few things and few questions that, at a first look, look very normal, very similar, very average questions, but we don't have a very particular definitions and observations about it And why I want... To ask you all this to you because i find you someone who is who have a very rational mind and not just speak something that comes in his mind but have a very critically observed opinions about something so firstly i want to ask you like how do you see the future of writers because now there is a saying that people are writing more reading less mm. and that's why everyone is a writer and mm-hmm. there's a very Confusing
1: thing, but... I think it's much easier to become a writer now than 30 years ago. 30 years ago, before internet, you needed a publisher. And publishers uh, were very serious men. Normally, in the beginning were men, and then also some women, which received every day hundreds of manuscripts. And they chose maybe one every 500. And then they decided that this person could become a writer. And all the the rest wouldn't be published never in their lives. So it was very difficult to get there because you had very little chances to, to, to come to this industry. So you had maybe a literary prize, maybe trying to find an agent, maybe knowing somebody who knows another person who works in a publisher. So it was extremely difficult. With internet and with the social media, uh, the writing world is more democratic right now because there are novels that first were published by the authors maybe in Amazon, in Kindle, in a blog, in a web. And then a lot of followers go there and this person becomes famous before contacting with any publisher in the world. It's a figure because has a lot of people who want... To to read this person, and then we have many many different means right now to show your work to the world. You can do it through the the, the social media. You can do it your own ebook. You can uh, publish your book in many ways, and you organize your promotion in in Amazon or in Facebook or in Instagram. So. Because of that, we have the impression that everyone is a writer because when you are in the social media, everyone has a book and you see a cover here and the other there. I think that this is good. Then we will have the proof of time. So the the question is, after 50 years, which books will be remembered? Because also 100 years ago, it was very difficult, but I would say that 99% of the titles that came to bookstores, they are totally forgotten, they were never reprinted. And we remember Hermann Hesse, we remember Naipaul, we remember some names, but it's a very, very minority. So even nowadays it's much easier to write, to be published, to be known, time will tell which uh, world w- were universal and which not.
2: Yeah, because uh, when there's a lot of platform, everyone is a writer who have his account on social media and as we say that everyone is a journalist who has a camera in his hands. So this is the <laughs> problem, the writing community and the journalists. Yes,
1: but, but it doesn't happen anything because everyone writes, Every everyone has a blog or something, but not everyone is a master. So we when you are looking for something that inspires you, you are not going to choose random, something that uh, any person writes. You You are looking for something very very special, very specific. And I always say that advertising books is not very useful because in, in this sector, in this industry, uh, the clients, the readers, they know exactly what they want. So when, when I go to a bookstore... Or when I go to a, a page like Amazon, I don't look what they are offering me. I know exactly what I want. I want that title of this author and I know I want this because my best friend read it and said this is for you. So it's a very special industry that normally the, the, the readers know more even about literature than the authors. So you are in their hands. True,
2: indeed. So, like, I want to know how much you believe in the calling of universe or the gut feeling.
1: Yeah, yeah calling of universe. Uh, I would say chance e- is present in everything what we do. There are people who have an, a natural grace to, to do something, to sing or to paint or to write, that they are gifted. And you see, when you are a teacher in a group of young people, you see from the first moment who has this gift. Because maybe 12 people are writing the same exercise. They are describing, I don't know, pandemia. They are describing a balcony with some... And 11 works are correct, are normal. But there is one that touches uh, your emotions. And this person has a gift. And so I think everyone has... A different gift. And the thing is, if during your life, you are going to explore enough to know where your gift is, because maybe it's not in writing, but maybe it's in interviewing, maybe is designing a cover of a book, maybe is being a good reader, maybe is being a publisher. So you must find your place in the world. But of course, there are people who have a natural gift and for these people will be much easier than others. But if this natural gift doesn't come together with hard work mentality, it's possible that the world will never know that this genius was there. Both things must come together, the gift and the effort. And uh, Malcolm Gladwell, the, uh, the, the journalist who wrote Outliers, I think it's, it's the DSA, he calculated that you need 10,000 hours to be a master in something. So if you want to be a very good journalist, if you want to be a very good writer, a very good painter, you need to practice 10,000 hours doing only that so that you can give the best that you have inside you.
2: Yeah, so uh, people who are in the field of creativity very Mm -hmm. much believe in the power of solitude. Like you have to spend Mm -hmm. time with your own self. Yes. That is how the great works come into What's your view on this?
1: I think solitude is is necessary, but, but complete solitude. Because it's not solitude if you are playing with your smartphone. So if you are alone at home, lying in your bed, but you are all the time in Facebook, in Twitter, in Instagram, this is not solitude. Solitude is what the yogis do. Solitude is silence. And silence means that you don't have any input that comes from outside. You are only with yourself. So like Ramana Maharshi. So you are with yourself. You put yourself uh, existential questions. You start by the basic ones. Who am I? What do I want in this life? Is this the kind of life I want to follow? What is the meaning of life? What is the meaning of what I am doing? What could it mean? And then, with your solitude and a notepad and a pencil, you can start taking out this source of creativity that you have. If you are all day connected to your uh, iPad, to your uh, smartphone, to the computer, to conversations, to the radio, to TV, it's, uh, to the TV series, it's impossible that you discover what, what is in yourself. You need to be... To, to have the courage to be in silence and to know yourself, because if you know yourself, then you you will have uh, a more clear idea of what can you give to the world. So solitude is necessary for a writer, even if it's one of these writers that explores the world, but they need to be alone also to uh, comprehend, to uh, make a synthesis of what they are living.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, indeed, uh, a very uh, valuable answer from your side. Like it is not about being alone and just trolling your Insta or social media feed. It is about being with you and in perspective. You.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Being alone for me would be more leaving your, uh, your uh, smartphone in a box, leaving it in, in your room and going to the street to walk without any connection with the social media, just observing what is happening, the trees, the people, uh, a dog comes here, a car, there is these two lovers there, without any digital interference. Uh, I would say doing alone has a lot to do with the analogical relationships we have with the world, because we are used now to have two brains, the, the human brain and the artificial brain, and both are all the time connected. So we need to disconnect from these devices to connect with deeper things that are inside ourselves. And then you can be spiritually connected, even if you are in a train with hundreds of people, then you're with yourself, with, with your thoughts. Nobody is telling you what you need to read, what you need to think, because there is a lot of brainwashing in the social media because everyone is offering something and advertising is in between everything what you are reading. So you are constantly influenced by big brands, by strategies, So and you need to put walls to protect yourself and to have a clean thinking of what do you think of the world, what do you think of yourself, of your life, everything.
2: Yeah, so coming back to the Ikigai, (coughs) if someone who is not in a mental status to give the book a read or is not unable to uh, calculate and observe all the information that is in the word about Ikigai that is in your book, how you being the author of the Ikigai could simplify the concept of Ikigai to a layman? Yes,
1: Ikigai... We can simplify it, its purpose in life. So if you find your Ikigai, you understand why your presence in this world is important. So it happens when you are connected to an activity that gives you a lot of meaning. This is In some professions, this is very clear. If you are a doctor and you are saving lives, it's easy that you connect with this Ikigai because with your work day to day, you see that what you do is relevant. What do you do is important. is uh, deciding the happiness of other people. If you are a big artist, maybe, and you sing in a, in a theater in front of 2,000 people who cry and clap, you understand your ikigai because you see the effect of your work. It's more difficult when you have a normal life. Then... It's possible that you, you don't know exactly your purpose of life because uh, society pushes you to find a job and to find money and, and to pay bills and to build a family and to buy a house and to have a car. And this, these things have nothing to do with our ikigai. These things are social obligations. And so when you are in this wheel maybe you can lose touch with what is your personal interest, what is your, your your compass in life, because then you are running to get more money, to pay this, to pay that, to be here, to be that. And these people, the many executives, many people who work in companies, actually, they don't know why they are there. They are trapped in a system that uh, is not easy to come out from there. But basically, to the, your question... Ikigai is purpose of life, is when you know exactly why you are doing this and what is the meaning of your day.
2: Yeah, so basically it is an answer of people who are suffering from the existential crisis.
1: Yes, it's, it's, Ikigai would be living with meaning, you can, you can say that. And for some people it's easier than from others. If from very young you know exactly what do you want to do, it happens sometimes with spiritual people. There are people who want to be monks since they are children or who want to do something special and they do it and they keep very close to this Ikigai. But there are also people who change Ikigai every six, seven years. Actually, uh, there is a, a German intellectual, Rudolf Steiner, who said that our life change, changes very meaningfully every seven years. From zero to seven, you are a little child. From seven to to 14, then you are coming to a teenager, to to a different thought. You have a a more complex vision of life. From 14 on, then you have a a sexual inclination. Then 25th, 21, maybe uh, you are already working. So you can have as many Ikigais as lives you are going to live inside this because when we think of reincarnation many people think of the hinduistic or the Buddhist reincarnation that you die and you are reborn but there are reincarnations inside uh, a single life because every time that your life changes maybe that you get divorced maybe that you changed uh, this college and you start something new that you lose your job and you start with a startup You die and you are reborn and your rikigai changes. So it's normal that during your life you can have five or six big passions that you will uh, exhaust in the end. And uh, maybe you come to a point to say, okay, now I have seen, I have experienced everything what I could learn with that. Now I need something new. And then it's easy that you have to cross a desert and it will come maybe months, maybe one year, in which you are searching for something new. But human being is like this. And if we look at the biographies of big men and women, many of them have had different lives. Uh, People who were doctors, in the end, they were spiritual masters. People who, uh, like Siddhartha Gautama, uh, lived in very rich environment in the palace, then uh, become... Uh, a poor person in the pathway. So the human being has the ability to change very dramatically and to learn many different things. Because of this, we can have several key guys in our life.
2: And I'm very impressed and surprised by the fact that whichever the countries you visited, you know a lot about their culture and their stories.
1: Oh, I like to read. uh, about the the places where I go. So always when I visit a city, uh, I try to know which writers, which important characters were there. I was in Paris three weeks ago and I was visiting the cafes where two, three writers were working and writing about life. And so then I, I wrote some of the books of this. I am a curious person and I like to understand from inside what is the, the, the heartbeat of a city and, and a culture. It was always, this is something that journalists have, I think.
2: Yeah, so uh, I could say then uh, by uh, your behavior, you are a journalist and by heart you are a writer.
1: Yes, I am a journalist because I am curious. I, I am a traveler and I like to know different people, different sensibilities. I like discovering, but I am a writer because I also uh, enjoy being alone, writing, uh, creating something new.
2: Were you ever been to Banaras,
1: Varanasi? Varanasi, yes. In, in, my, in my second trip to India, that was around 2003, more or less, 2004. I was in Banarasi, Benares, Baranasi, and I was very impressed. I I don't think I could understand everything what was coming there because uh, I would need to have a a deeper knowledge of Hinduism and the sacred uh, writings and all this. But I was very impressed by the atmosphere, the humanity there. And I was maybe three, four days in Baranasi, and from then... I went to Nepal to go on with my trip to to some places of Nepal. But uh, it's one of the most impressive cities I have seen in my life, of course.
0: Yeah, so
2: last year I was in Banaras. Uh, I was researching on a topic to write on uh, that is death, a taboo in India. So Mm. being a guy from a small town, I could say that when the globalization hit different countries and when it came to India in 1990s. It came to the metro cities early on in the 90s, but for us small town guys, it was like we saw the old India and we were grown up in a modern India. So for Mm -hmm. me, my childhood and teenage years were like growing up in both the Indias.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: So in our families, in our Indian families, we never talk about debts. Like we know that it is the harsh truth of life but even if we say that someone died, uh, the parents come to us and say, don't Mm -hmm. use that word. Uh So I was always very curious about like what it is in reality and how it is seen in our religion, the Hinduism. So I now want to ask you like you wrote several bestsellers and even you are now curious, how do you want time to remember you, Francis?
1: I, I don't know. I I consider myself a humble person because my parents were working class people. My father worked in an office in a very low job his whole life. He was not an ambitious person who wanted to, to have higher positions and to earn more. He was a very shy person and he always worked in the same position and uh, having a very low salary. And And uh, my mother was sewer, was a a person working at home with women who came. Normally, they were fat women who couldn't find uh, dresses in the shops. They went to my mother because they needed special measures. And she was sewing for them for very little money. And because of this, I have a mentality of not being anybody special. And I don't feel more important than the baker or than any person that I cross uh, in in the street. So I would love to be remembered as someone who did something so that life was easier. Some, someone who, who helped to, to fight the suffering of the people, reading a book or with a nice conversation or for any other reason. So I think, basically, like, like Boda, the, the highest task that a human being can do is helping the suffering of humanity. And from your place, if you can get it in, in some extent, uh, this is how I want to be remembered, as somebody who was useful, somebody who helped, And for me, it's enough. I don't need to be in the big books of history.
2: And I completely believe that it will be so because you write about something you did, what the modern world needs. Like, it's all about peace that we search in in our life and the happiness. Um, Now I would do a quick rapid fire session. So I want you to be a bit on the funnier side. And completely blunt while answering all these questions. Okay. Okay. So if you ever get, although maybe or maybe not in the future, we will ever master the art of time traveling. But I want to know from you that if you ever get an opportunity to travel back in time, what would we would you advise to an 18-year-old Francis? I...
1: I would tell to, I would teach him about love and I tell you what, because I suffered a lot from love when I was 18. I was a, a very romantic boy who fell in love with the strong girls of the classroom and I was writing love letters and all everything what you shouldn't do with a girl. So I would tell to this young Francesc, Don't think that a woman is something different from a man. We are all human beings. Don't think they are sacred, special. Uh, Treat them with respect. Treat them as a friend and everything will be much easier. Don't make these girls an idol. Uh, That's what I would say.
2: (laughs) And uh, that's completely true because uh, this is one place where a man uh, is completely... In a state of no idea, like what yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. So when you mentioned like strongest, was it? Does it mean like manipulative or dominating, something like
1: that? Very intelligent woman. So normally, in my classroom, I I was not attracted by beautiful women. I was attracted by women who had a lot of character, who had an opinion, who were changing mind all the time, and I was fascinated. By, by this kind of, of girls. But these girls were looking for something very different from me because I was a very shy person. I was very uh, romantic. I was uh, a very weak person for them. They needed someone like them. So when I say a strong woman, I mean woman of a strong character, of a strong personality.
2: <laughs> so uh, there's a word like sepio-sexual where one gets... Uh, Uh, From feeling of attachment by someone not with his physical characters but with his intelligence so it was something like that for the young Francis I could say Uh, there's a very popular myth in which I completely believe is that people who are very creative and because creative people live in their own world so and the popular myth is that creative peoples have a very
1: Bad love life, like yes, that's that's why they create. So I was reading a lot about why there are some children, some teenagers who are so creative and write and paint and make songs. It's a, a compensation from something that is lacking in reality. If you have a rich life, if you are somebody with good relationship with your parents, if you are somebody who have very good friends, if you have, it's for you it's easy uh, to be with a woman, then you don't need to write because your, your life is full. Normally you start writing when there are holes in your life, normally are emotional holes, spiritual holes, that maybe you don't feel the love of your father or maybe you don't have the love of the girl you are in love with then it creates a space that must be filled with something. And that's when you start writing, making music, making things. And this is a compensation of something in reality that you don't have. And so we are lucky that some people couldn't get love or couldn't get get a family because instead of that, they gave us to the world something that is much more valuable than a normal life that they couldn't have.
2: True. So uh, if someone who is struggling like the young Francis, he should more focus on his own self. Than...
1: Yes, yes. Uh, actually, when I talk with some young person, a young girl, a young boy, and they have a uh, heartbroken, uh, I always tell them, this is what you love from this person that uh, you have idealized. It's something that you have in yourself because the the people, people are mirrors. Normally, you feel attracted by people who resonate with what you are. So if you are admiring somebody, a boy, a girl that is very creative, maybe it's because you are very creative too and you are projecting what you have in this person. So change the focus. Put the focus in yourself. Make things that are valuable and then you will feel proud of what you do and love will come easily. They will come to you. You, you, you won't search for nothing then.
2: Exactly. This is uh, what I believe is that uh, what you lack as a person is yes. what you look in a partner.
1: Exactly. But what you look in a partner, maybe it's something that you have hidden inside yourself. And because of that, you recognize it in the other.
2: Happiest moment in life.
1: Happiest moment in life, I, I would say that I am happy very often. It, it's not a, a long happiness. Maybe I am happy some hours and then something happened. But maybe the happiest moments of my life, it could be easily this first trip to India, but also when my son was born, of course. And I would say that every time uh, I... In, in my list of values, friendship is number one. And so I would say every time I am together with friends doing something special, I feel I am the happiest person on earth. So friendship for me is the paradise. So when you are with good friends, you are traveling or you are watching a movie or you are having a coffee or you are walking together. For me, this is the idea of happiness. And second idea of happiness is being on a train, because I love trains, because of that, I appreciated very much India. So I could be in a train two days, <laughs> crossing the country. And for me, being in a train with a good book, reading the book and looking at the world, for me, this is perfection.
2: True. So you are an accomplished writer. You wrote several bestsellers and you are very well known in the writing world. How do you see the future now? Like... Uh, five to ten years from now. What are your future
0: plans?
1: My future plans is to conquer more time. I don't want to have more money. I, I don't have a good relationship with money. When I have money, I distribute it to my family, to friends. To I, I lose it. I, I, I am unable to to keep the money. So what I, my aspiration is to conquer time, to have more time for myself, to work less, to have more time for my son, to have more time for friends, to contemplate the world, to to go to the street, to sit with a book. That, that, that's my plan for the next 10 years.
2: Yeah, so it is like uh giving more to the world and being in peace, like
1: yes, being but- in peace, running a simple life with simple pleasures and having peace of mind. That that's what I want. I, I I don't want to have houses, I don't want, I don't have even a driving license. I I cannot drive a car, you can imagine.
2: So, uh, Francis, like if you ever suggest a single book to read and change your life from your best reads, which book it would be?
1: Uh, I would say there is a book that when we are children and we are teenagers it has a huge influence in every reader but maybe most indians know it that is the little prince of antoine de saint exupery i would say that in little prince there are very very big teachings of life and for people more interested in psychology and spirituality i would say that necessary reading of the 20th century it's the man in search of a meaning the book of Viktor Frankl. These these two books, I would say, they are b- very essential for the life of everyone.
2: I am really seeking forward that the books you suggest, when people will read it, it would add a great value to their life. And this is the power of books that we talk about. And this was a lot question that I had from you. And it was really, really nice talking to you.
1: Thank you very much, Omvesh. It was very... Nice interview, very interesting. And I enjoyed very much sharing all this with you. Thank you for all people who is watching us and have a a very nice life after Pandemia because it's finishing very soon.
2: So thank you so much, Francis, once again. Uh, um, I want to suggest you something I don't know will you accept it or not. But as a reader, I really want to read a complete book of your love letters that you wrote to all the girls. (laughs) Dominate. Okay.
1: I will uh, will take this piece of advice. Uh, Maybe I can find some of these love letters. Uh, Thank you very much, Omvesh. It was very nice.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Francis. Namaste. Namaste.
0: So guys, this is the end of the episode. I hope this podcast added value to your life. For more such episodes, stay tuned to The Homewaste Show.